The Jews build a temple and promise to follow God because that worked the first 10 times they tried it. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon. We are pastors at Gospel Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. That's right. What are we talking about today? We're talking about the book of Ezra. Well, yeah, we are, I guess. The Bible first, and then, you know, the book of Ezra, I guess. But Yeah, it's well, it is part of the Bible. Is it Ezra and Nehemiah, or is it just Ezra? They're, they are a unified work. What's up with it? Why, why is every couple books in this part of the Bible, why, why do we separate them all out? I, I, who knows? Who knows? Who made this decision? It's somewhere Middle Ages or Jerome or someone. Someone did it. Jerome. <sighs> Jerome. I've read things and then I forget, and I don't really care that much, right? right. To be honest. Um, That's but, pretty normal for schooling, I guess, right? Uh, yeah, and just life. Oh, I forgot. Like, subscribe, comment, people. Don't forget... Get the word of the gospel out there. That's right. That's right. So yeah, so we've uh, we've come to this point in the story where Israel's in exile. Bummer. And we saw at the end of Chronicles that God is God decrees through Cyrus mm-hmm. he, through his his providence. He uses Cyrus, the emperor, to sit, call the people out of exile to right. say you can go back to the promised land. Right. And and they're sent with with wealth. And um, now there's some history in the middle of all this during the time of exile that we're going to visit later in the prophets. Yeah, because Chronicles was written after all this stuff, right? So That's right. Um, possibly by Ezra, actually. Yeah. A lot of people believe uh, Ezra wrote Chronicles, which makes a lot of sense. We'll see in the book. We don't know for sure. But so we'll, later we'll look at the books of, books of Daniel, Ezekiel. Those are kind of the biggest ones that tell us a lot about the time of exile. Right. Um, and, of course, Esther will show us a little bit of the Jews in exile as well. But today, we're going to see the story of how the exiles return, and mm. they begin to build the temple. Mm. And the book of Ezra and Nehemiah shows the building of the temple first in Ezra, and then the building of the, the walls of the city of Jerusalem in, yeah. in Nehemiah. So, And the building of the spiritual maturity, or the attempt of spiritual maturity, I guess. That's right. Yeah, no, it's definitely about more than just the physical buildings. Yeah. Those are pointers to the inward reality. Yeah. So we'll see that. So what about what's the book of Ezra about then though? Yeah, I'm gonna start with that. So the main characters of Ezra are Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel. in the first half, and then Ezra in the second half. Zerubbabel. So, that's Zerubbabel. right. Zerubbabel. Uh, Zerubbabel. I'm trying to say that ten times fast. Zerubbabel. That's a hard one. Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. Well, but yeah. but yeah. So this unified work is conveying this this message. Ezra and Nehemiah is this message about God and about the future of Israel. Mm-hmm. And um, Ezra, like I said, he's probably the author of the book of Ezra mm-hmm. and the book of Chronicles. Mm. Uh, Nehemiah seems like it was written by Nehemiah. There's a lot maybe, of like first-person stuff. Yeah, yeah, maybe Nehemiah, though, like, and, and Ezra were combined by somebody, like Ezra might have put them, put them together and kind of made them unified. We don't, we don't know. We just don't know. And again, do we really care? I just want to get into the text wow. of Scripture. Okay. Yeah, just saying. Um, and then Ezra and Nehemiah are contemporaries. So we actually see this in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8. Right. They start working together. Awesome. So Ezra comes on the scene first, then Nehemiah comes. So again, Ezra is focused more on the temple, Nehemiah more on the walls of Jerusalem, mm-hmm. the defenses of Jerusalem. Yep. Awesome. So what's the, if you were to you know, consolidate the message of the book of Ezra? Yeah, so. God, God saves his remnant. God saves his remnant and he restores them. Yeah, so that's what it's all about. So God bringing back the remnant, the, those who have survived from this punishment of the exile, bringing them back, establishing them, and restoring them. It, it makes sense in light of the storyline, you know. 
it is so weird, like thinking about uh, Chronicles is written later, but it's an overview, and we get to kind of see the details of it now. Mm-hmm. It makes perfect sense that these the main thrust of this book is about restoration and a future hope and stuff. That's so, right. Yeah. So yeah. That, so there's there's a lot of looking to the future in these books because we're gonna see that. There's a restoration. I mean, this is what they've been asking for and dreaming about coming mm-hmm. back to the land, but it's very dissatisfying. So there's a there's yeah. a lot of longing in these books of looking toward the full realization of these promises. And Nehemiah, it ends on a very sour note, as we'll see next week. Right. It's but even Ezra, you know, it's pretty it's pretty mixed in terms of yeah, it's like lackluster. It. Yeah, even like yeah, we'll, we'll go into it. But it, I, I get frustrated when I like get to this part in the Bible reading because it's like it just it seems like the same pattern over and over again for God's people. You know? Exactly. Yeah, and uh, we do see some progress here because what we see in Ezra and Nehemiah is that idolatry has been eradicated. So this was the big snare for Israel going right. back to I mean Exodus thirty four, right. even before that I guess, but in uh, the sins of Jeroboam and all that. Idolatry was their their main snare, right? And here we see that idolatry has been eradicated, but they still have heart issues, right? So God, there's been progress, but there's not enough, right? So there's hope, but still longing, I guess you could say. Cool. So let's let's outline the books like we usually do. If you were to separate out the books by chapter, how would you organize it? Yeah, so I would organize it on a just this pattern of rebuilding and renewing. So Ezra one to six is the rebuilding of God's house. And that's mm-hmm. the, the return of the exiles up to Ezra and the rebuilding of the temple. Yeah. Uh, that's but a, the Jer- second half... Zerubbabel and all that. Yeah. Right? yeah. The second half of Ezra is when Ezra comes on the scene, and that's the renewal of God's people. So first is the rebuilding of God's temple or God's house and the renewal of God's people. Mm-hmm. So Ezra's job is going to be to try to purify Israel. Right, a lot of teaching to, and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, to reinstitute the, these you know systems of worship and all that. And then we see the same kind of thing in Nehemiah. Nehemiah 1 to 7 is the re- rebuilding of God's city. Mm-hmm. So Nehemiah comes and he focuses on the walls and defense of Jerusalem. And in the second half, Nehemiah 8 to 13, is the renewal of God's covenant. Right. So he's going to try to get the people to follow after God, and he's not very successful in that. Yeah. Not surprising, right? Not surprising at all. Even the best leaders have been unsuccessful. That's right. Ready to get into the text? Let's do it, man. We've got a lot to cover, so let's just jump in. Ezra chapter 1. So Ezra chapter 1, so like I said, the first section of, of Ezra is the rebuilding of God's house. So the, the temple was destroyed during the exile. It's completely gone. Mm-hmm. So they're going to try to rebuild it from scratch. So in chapter 1, we see really what we saw in the end of Chronicles, which is the proclamation of Cyrus. And we see a, a, a big theme in Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther, mm-hmm. which, we'll, which we'll get to, but... Um, really, the whole Bible is the sovereignty of God. <laughs> that I mean, such a, a dominant theme right. throughout the entire Bible. But we see it in big ways here. We see God is the one who's moving explicitly through His people. Right. In Ezra and Nehemiah, it's very explicit. Mm-hmm. God is the one who's doing it. So we see it in verse one: the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. God's in charge, even of foreign kings. Right. So He's stirring them up, and He issues this decree. Right. That you can go back to your homeland. If you're a Jew and you you're going to actually get wealth to go and to rebuild God's temple, right? So pretty amazing proclamation. And we see in verse verse five that God not only moves in the heart of Cyrus, He moves in the hearts of the people as well, right? So God stirs up the heart, right? Verse five, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up and to rebuild the house of the Lord. So everyone's moved to go and to do this. Yep. Um, verse seven, we see that he, Cyrus even brings out the things that have been taken, the vessels, mm-hmm. the precious vessels been taken out of the temple 70 years pr- previous. Mm-hmm. So God's showing incredible favor to his people. God's working through 
these foreign kings, this foreign king, to to restore his people. Right. It reminds you a lot of well, a couple stories, right? It reminds me of a couple stories. One was to be more like specific, small story was the story of Ahaz in Second Chronicles twenty-eight. Yeah, I remember when Ahaz is he's conquered by the northern kingdom of Israel. Mm-hmm. He's taken away as captives, and then a prophet comes and tells the Israelite king to to release them, but also to give them wealth when he releases them. Right. It's kind of the same thing, right? And that reminds us of, of course, of the Exodus. Right. Where they, when they leave from, from Egypt, they not only leave, you know, in victory as God brings these plagues, they also mm. plunder the Egyptians. Right. They go around and say, hey, give me some stuff. And right. the Egyptians are like, just take whatever you want, just get out of here. It's Yeah, it's so funny to see the parallels of the story. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, Pharaoh could have taken a note from Cyrus and <laughs> obeyed God a little more. Yeah. You know? So... Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so God works in their hearts in different ways, but this this really is the second Exodus, and this is, I mean, this is so important because it's a return to even Genesis chapters eleven and twelve, mm-hmm. where Abraham is called out of Babylon, right, right, Ur of the Chaldees. He's called out of this nation where they've been taken captive, right. Um, yes, we know it's conquered by Persia, but it's the same basic empire, right. And they're called out of that just as Abraham walked those steps back to the promised land. They're doing the same thing. Yeah. And you can see God's sovereignty, like God planned for this to happen and for his timing for, for his people to go back, right? And then it was the same thing with the Exodus, you know, and the enslavement of Egypt, right? That's right. It was all planned out yeah. by God. That's right. So we so. see God's, these patterns working through history and God restoring his people and he's starting again. He's starting anew by bringing them back to the beginning and bringing them out of Babylon. Cool. Well, hopefully they can do a good job with this. That's right. Yeah. So, so in chapter two, we see the list of who returned. So not everyone returned. It's a, it's a small number, really. But their leader is this guy in verse two, Zerubbabel. Right. This is the the, the I guess rightful heir to the throne. Mm-hmm. Right. This is this is. Uh, but he's not going to be the king at this point. Right. He's sort of he's just a governor, a vassal, leader, mm-hmm. but he's not in charge. So. He's the important leader in this first section, and in chapter three we see them rebuilding the altar, reestablishing the temple, and they they actually lay the foundation of the temple. So they don't finish the temple here, but they start it. And in mm-hmm. verse ten we see that right they they laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, and they have this big celebration, an incredible celebration where everyone's you see in the following verses everyone's singing and uh, shouting, and they're having a, a great celebration and, and a lot of joy. But not everybody, dude. That's right. Yeah, but not everybody. <laughs> verse 12. Yeah, verse, tw- yeah, verse 12 is interesting. It says, But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation <laughs> of this house being laid. I hate to be the guy that laid the foundation. You're like, yeah. <laughs> the, all the seniors are like crying <laughs> over your work. Well, I heard somebody's talking about this, and they were going, well, this is weeping for joy. I'm like it's pretty clear it's it doesn't not seem like that, yeah. Because you don't you don't typically weep for joy with a loud voice. You don't mm-hmm. like moan and like shout, ah! right? Yeah. You weep tears right as you're celebrating. Yeah. You you know you get so emotional. This doesn't seem to be that. This is like wailing. Yeah, and that's like wailing though many shouted aloud. Yeah, exactly. For joy. It's a con- <laughs> contrast yeah. to that. So so why are they upset? Well, these are the these are the people, as it says, who had seen. The, the previous house, the, the Temple right. of Solomon. Yeah, that makes sense. And so they realize there's already this this feeling of this is not quite what we're looking for. Right. This is not, this house is going to be much, it's going to be lame compared to the last one. Yeah, and like you can look at that trivially, like, but like 
like this is my frustration with reading these books is you're like you're reading this and you're like oh sweet people are coming back foundations being laid people are shining for joy and then dang it like yeah. we, it's like a taste of what's to come right yeah so. yeah there's there's a there's a downgrade here mm-hmm. from the previous temple and so this can't be the ultimate messianic kingdom coming right. if the temple isn't even as good as the last one right right the failed messianic kingdom so so yeah so we see this this tension already being built and then in chapter 4 we see a theme in Ezra and Nehemiah is people are opposed to the work. Right. Right. So some some adversaries, some enemies of the Israelites come and they say, hey, we'll, we'll build with you. Mm-hmm. Right. Now they're trying to deceive. Right. Hey, we'll, we'll help you out. But they want to undermine. And so Ezra, knowing that they are foreigners, says in verse 3, you have nothing to do with us in building a house to our Lord. We alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel. Mm-hmm. So he understands, no, we can't partner with you. So what they do is they just end up opposing and trying to discourage the people. Right. So they find ways to undermine, to discourage the work that's being done. Um, and they actually end up petitioning the king, the, the, the emperor, to get him to stop construction of the temple. Mm-hmm. So a new king is there, Artaxerxes, and they send him letters saying essentially, you know, the Israelites are wicked, rebellious people. Don't <laughs> trust them. They're going to turn against you. And so not him not knowing the context, he just says, stop, let's man. stop that. And so what we have is a, it's kind of a, a, a lot of detail here, but a back and forth of letters between the different kings um, trying to figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. And eventually in chapter five, we see that the building is restored. Yep. So they, they begin the work. Um, we actually see in chapter five, verse one, we see Haggai, and Zechariah. Mm-hmm. So those are going to be, of course, books of the Bible. Later, these are minor prophets. Right. Um, but they're, they prophesied about the rebuilding of the temple. So they're saying, it's time to build. So they, they keep building, right? Kind of long story short, they end up finishing the work of the temple in chapter 6. So Darius, the king, gives a decree that they can build, and he pays for the rebuilding in chapter 6. Mm-hmm. And so we see, we see actually a pretty amazing statement, a decree from Darius. So he says, as I mentioned in, in chapter 6, verse 8, says, the cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the province from beyond the river. Mm-hmm. Right? And then he says, whatever you need, you, we're going to give it to you. Verse 10, that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven right. and pray for the life of the king and his sons. And verse 11, I, I love this. This is a great verse. This, this is legendary pun, punishment here. Also, I make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house, and he shall be impaled on it. <laughs> so pull out. So go into their house, pull out the, the, the nice beam, sharpen that up like a nice stick, and then drop them on it. Just <laughs> impale them right through the gut. His house shall be made. This is like overkill, right? So first of all, kill the guy. And then it says his house shall be made a dunghill. <laughs> so everyone go and... Yeah, drop a number two Take on this guy's down, house. house falls like, down, what? And then, yep, yeah, exactly. Humiliate him. <laughs> it's like it just seems, it just seems like he's already dead. You know, like why you gotta go number two on this guy's house? I think, uh, I guess it, uh, I guess it's just reinforcing the idea of don't. You know, if I was a king and didn't want people messing with my decrees, I'd say the same thing. I guess it's like whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> I, I, I would have done it even though it was you know capital punishment. But you go, doing the poop thing—that's just too much. That's too much. And now that's deterred me. Um, but I love verse twelve is really cool. This, again, this is a pagan king. He says, "May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this or to destroy." This house of God that is in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. I, Darius, make this de- make a decree 
let it be done with all diligence. So pre- pretty awesome that God, God is watching over them. He allows the temple to be finished, and they celebrate Passover together. Yeah. God's people are worshiping God in the way they're supposed to worship him. Yep. So so we're, we're seeing this idea in the book of God's control, right? God is working through these pagan kings, and of God's remnant, that God has brought back a people who is still faithful to him, mm-hmm. right? The, the remnant, this is a big theme in the Bible, the remnant are those who hear God's voice, obey God's commands, and trust in God ultimately. Right. And that's what we see being revealed is those who want to be faithful to God. Right. So that's the theme in the first half. But then the second half, we see the need to renew God's people. Mm-hmm. So God's temple has been rebuilt, but will God's people be renewed? Right. Are they going to actually follow God? Or is this all just outward and symbolic? Remember, we, like you said in the beginning, we've seen the temple there before. We've seen tabernacles before. And God's people are still unfaithful. That's why they went to exile. Right. So what's different this time? Is it going to be different? Yeah, quite great question. So that's Ezra comes into the scene. That's right. right. Ezra, yeah. the hero of the story. So Ezra, so chapter 7. Sorry, I got some allergies today, man. It's really, oh. really annoying. Not COVID? Not COVID. No, I don't think so. Okay. But who knows? Yeah. Um, so we see that Ezra, verse chapter 7, verse 6, Ezra went up from Babylonia he was ascribed skilled. He was ascribed skilled in the law of Moses, that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given, yep. and the king granted him all he asked for the hand of the Lord, because God was on him. So he's a scribe. He's a priest. He's of the priestly family, mm-hmm. and he goes with the intention of teaching them Mosaic law. Right. So we we actually see that's the mission that he's given by the king. So we see some some detail about this in verse nine. We see that the hand of God was on him. Right. Again, a big theme. I like verse 10. Verse 10 is such a great verse, right? For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Mm -hmm. That's that's an amazing, that's amazing for a leader, right? That's what it's all about. Studying God's laws, obeying it, and teaching others to do the same. Yeah. He He has a very clear mission. I love that about Ezra and Nehemiah. They both know what they're about, what it means to follow God, what he's called them to do. Mm -hmm. And they do it. Yep. That's a great thing. So um, we see we see later on um, that uh, you know Ezra really understands uh, that that disobedience to God's law is going to be the end of Israel. He's right. a, he's a student of history, right? And that's what we say he might be the the chronicler, the yeah. writer of First and Second Chronicles, because he really seems to get the message of the book that you you disobey, you walk away from God's law, and you're destroyed. I mean, it, it totally it, like it's, it's totally logical for someone that studies God's law and loves it, you know, or just at least has studied God's law. <laughs> like at all, you know that obedience to God equals death. Yeah. You know? I mean, he'd read, you know, Leviticus, he'd read Deuteronomy 27, 28, the, right. the curses, and he had seen them, he'd seen how Moses and Joshua predicted mm-hmm. this is what would happen. Right. They were going to lose the promised land. So he's he's observing that and he's learning. And he, he really shows us a worldview that is built around scripture. Mm. Of course, we've seen that before in terms of People following God, but he's really putting together the different parts of Scripture. He's following mm-hmm. them, and we see how he's intentionally thinking about Scripture mm-hmm. as he's instituting policies and things like that. Right. So Ezra, he's a, he's an amazing guy. He's an amazing guy. So he wants to see the people of, of Israel be restored. Right. Um, and so he he has this prayer to God, which we won't go through. But it, so he he in chapter seven, chapter eight, he sort of reorganizes the. Uh, the temple, the Levites, the offerings, all this kind of stuff. 
he's organizing God's people around worship of God. Mm-hmm. And he's very intentional. But in chapter 9, this is kind of the, the hardest part of the book of Ezra, is the end of the book of Ezra. Mm-hmm. So in chapter 9, he finds out that the people have started to marry with other nations. Mm. There's, been, there's been intermarriage. And this is a very serious thing um, because this means that you know God's people are not being faithful to Him. So now, it's yeah, just, it's you know I got to bring up this question, especially just in light of you know current events. Like, is this like a racial issue? Because it it literally says like holy race, like in verse two, you know, yeah, like chapter nine. Like, so what is what is this whole thing about marrying you know foreigners? Is this simply a racial thing between Israel and other nations, or what? Yeah, it's definitely important for us not to read our own current history back on. Ezra, right, and force him into our box. So no, I would not say this isn't about race. Well, it is secondarily, but it's right. not racially motivated. It's religiously motivated. So we see right. that in verse one of chapter nine. Mm-hmm. Right, it says he finds out from someone the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with their abominations. Right, from the Canaanites, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Verse 2, for they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons, so the holy race has mixed itself with peoples of the lands. And in this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and chief men have been foremost. So it's very clear from the history of Israel and from the commands we see in Exodus, Deuteronomy, places like that, that you don't intermarry because those foreigners, especially the Canaanites in the land that they were supposed to destroy, those people will lead you to disobey God. Right. That makes total sense. It makes sense in life history. It makes sense even in Ezra's character. I think it makes sense in what he cares about, right? Yeah. But I mean, we. But throughout the story of Israel, yet you see foreigners brought into the family of God anyway. So it yeah. can't be about race, you know? Exactly. So, so yeah, so we see this in Exodus 34, don't marry foreigners. We see this in, Ex- in Deuteronomy chapter 7, Yeah. these commands. And again, this is what causes Solomon's downfall. Mm-hmm. Clearly, yeah. this is yeah. what causes Ahab's downfall with Jezebel. Um, there's probably a lot more. I, have, I mean, Samson going yeah. after the Philistine w- women. I'm sure there's a there's a bunch more. I'm not thinking ever off the top of my head, but this is this has been a pattern. You should know this by now. If you're marrying someone who is leading you away from your faith in God, mm-hmm. this is a serious thing, right? And it's especially serious for the Israelites at this time when there's just a tiny remnant left, and the 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 tiny holy remnant is being corrupted. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're just barely hanging on here, and right. you're walking away from God. Right. So this is this is very serious stuff. So he he gets Ezra is very upset by this, right? He tears his his garment, his his cloak. He pulls hair from his head, right? He sits and he prays to God, and he he's so upset by this, and he and he prays this amazing prayer, right? He he starts off by confessing. He's ashamed. Uh, yeah, I love. I mean, I love the. Verse six of chapter nine. I love how he how he says this. Oh my God, I'm ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. There's a guilt that we can't deal with here. Right. And and he says, you know, ver- verse eight. But now, for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord to leave us a remnant, and to give us a secure hold within this holy place that our God may brighten our eyes and grant, grant us a little reviving in our slavery. For we are slaves, verse 9, yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery. Mm. So he understands the sin, he understands what God has done, and he goes on to, to confess even more. And, to, and he has a good theology of sin. Right. He understands what sin is and he understands why it's so serious. I mean, verse 13, he says, 
after all this has come upon us, right, all the punishment they've, they've received because of their unfaithfulness, he says, um, for our evil deeds and our great guilt, seeing that you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserved mm-hmm. and have given us such a remnant as this. Shall we break your commandments again? So he he's saying, I understand that you've given us less punishment than what we deserved. Right. God's God's merciful even in his punishment. Yep. And he knows could that, always give worse. And it, yeah, and he could still consume them. Like he st- he still knows that if Israel continues to be unfaithful, even after he's blessed them, that he can still consume them. Right. That's right. Verse fourteen. Until you you know, uh, would you not be angry with us until you consumed us so that there be no remnant at all? <laughs> so. He's calling his people to continue to be faithful, and he yeah, he gets it. It's, yeah, he sees the danger that their sin has put them in. Yeah, and so he's he's trying to purify. He's trying trying to to make new and restore this remnant that's left behind right. God's people, and yet he feels clearly frustrated in this. Hmm. So, and so again, he, he, he's showing to us that he's viewing his his current condition, their current condition, in light of the totality of Scripture. Mm-hmm. He's bringing in history. He's looking at God's law, and he's listening to the prophets who've prophesied about this, and he's seeing how this is all coming together. So this is this is very important, uh, and, and Ezra demonstrates for us a true what a true follower of God is like. Hmm. And and just that idea that we need constant renewal as God's people. Right. It's, yeah. not, it's not enough for us to say, I came to God at one point, or my church, when we started, we were faithful. Things tend to drift. Right. Our spiritual lives tend to drift. Our churches and institutions tend to drift. I mean, we've seen so many churches that have progressively gone away from God's word. Right. We've seen so many Christians, so many friends that we we have that have drifted from God's word. Right. Yeah. So yeah. it needs to be that reformation coming back again and again to God. Yeah, you see it in the, the whole world, like from like the personal all the way, like look at all the Christian colleges and universities that started as, you know, yeah, organizations dependent on God's word and His graces, and now look at them all—they're all, <laughs> all right, totally yeah. against Christianity. I mean, every one of our great, you know, original uh, schools was affiliated with some denomination. Yeah, like Harvard, Yale, Princeton, all yeah, those Catholic, but, Protestant. Yeah, yeah, they're they're not a place where you go to learn about God. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> hopefully, but yeah. So anyway, we need we need constant renewal. And then chapter ten. So the the end of the book is that. God, Ezra confronts this, and the people decide to confess their sin and to separate themselves from these sinful marriages. Pretty crazy. And this is interesting. You know, I, I've heard different views on this. I actually listened to um, The Bible Project. Do you know those guys? Yeah, what's his... Um, um, Tim Mackey. Tim Mackey, yeah. yeah. So they, in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, their interpretation is very, I think, weird. Oh, really? What are they so, saying? Well, so going back to chapter, what was it, four, when we see the opposition... Yeah, they say now it explicitly says there were adversaries, right? That approached them, and that they at the beginning of four, right? And so that's why Ezra rejects them, and they they basically make the case of like these people come wanting to help, and Ezra says no, and he's being you know separatist and kind of nationalistic, and that's a bad thing. Interesting. And then with, with this too, they kind of make this seem like it's a bad thing. Hmm. I think it's hard to argue this is a bad thing. I get that in our like. I wouldn't want anyone to be thinking, oh, if you know my wife is of a different race, I should divorce her, <laughs> right? And obviously, if you think that, you haven't been listening to what we've been saying. Or even, if my wife is a non-believer, I should divorce her, or my spouse is a non-believer. Right. 1 Corinthians 7 gives us guidance with that. Right. If your spouse wants to stay married to you, stay married to them. This is a very specific historical context, um, very specific laws they had about intermarriage, 
And there were reasons for this that were spiritual. So no, I don't think Ezra is doing a bad thing here. Mm. I don't think it's questionable, but I do think that it shows us something about what Jesus is going to do in the New Testament, right? Yeah. So when we'll get to that, but no, this I think the separation that's happening here is the right thing. You have essentially a bunch of marriages that were illegal because mm-hmm. you married somebody in opposition to the law of Moses, right? Right. I mean, so there were laws on the books that you couldn't do this. You disobeyed God's law, and so it's it's a separation, really, but it's not necessarily a divorce, right? Because there, the marriage wasn't wasn't real to begin with. So annulling it is kind of more the idea. Mm. At least that's how I would see it. So so no, I think this is the right thing to do, and it points to the need for God's people to be holy, right? To separate themselves from the nations because. Throughout the entire history, they've been com- been becoming like the Canaanites. Mm. Remember, we saw this with obviously the Book of Joshua that they don't conquer the Canaanites and Judges. People like Samson are becoming more like the Canaanites, and then ultimately you see Manasseh, King Manasseh, and other kings that are sacrificing their children. Mm. I think Ahaz as well, right? Right, sacrificing their children like the Canaanites. So the people of God have become just like the nations. Right. That's the whole problem, right? So you just assimilated to them, and now Ezra is saying, we have a new chance, a new start, a new temple, and you're doing the same thing. Right. This is a big deal. Yeah. It's a big deal. So he's calling them out, and he's reforming God's people, and they're responding. Now, not all of them do respond. We see that some of them don't respond, and they're, they're recorded, but the bulk of them confess. They say, we've transgressed in this matter. We need to make a new covenant with God to follow him. Yeah. So it, it ends with this list of those who had who are guilty of intermarriage. Not a high note to end on. No. Not That's where the book ends. Disappointing. So there's, there's that longing, right? There's that right. longing for, oh, man, it kind of an icky feeling as you end the book. Mm-hmm. And you get into the book of Nehemiah, you kind of go, ah, this is yeah. not satisfying at all. Yeah, maybe this third guy will do something, Nehemiah. I mean, I think that makes sense. Like That's how I've always read, you know, chapter 10 when I've come into it. It's... You know, it seems like a good thing that these people are confessing this sin and turning to God, right? Yeah. So that seems like the basic reading it's, of it. It's definitely portrayed in that way. Yeah. Right? It's in line. I mean, Ezra's prayer does not seem like to give that kind of detail for this prayer, mm-hmm. if it was totally off base, right. is very strange. Right. And, and he's clearly he's, he's praying in a way that's very, very biblical. Mm-hmm. People respond to way it's biblical. So why would that be then the undercurrent of this was actually a bad thing he was doing? Yeah, strange. The, the author would have said that directly. You would think. And if the author was Ezra, then it'd be kind of weird. But <laughs> anyway, I just don't see that as... Well, I get that it's hard for us to understand. It feels racist. It feels whatever. But we have to understand the context and how important it was for them to follow God and to be separate from yeah. the nations. Amen. Well, let's see how the gospel connects to that. How does, how does the good news of Jesus, where does this book fit into the greater storyline of the Bible and the gospel? Well, we see the king and priest theme again, uh, really really distinctly, right? Zerubbabel is that king figure, even mm-hmm. though he doesn't have the, the, the crown, and Ezra is that priest figure. So we see those two ideas coming together again and the need for someone who can fulfill both of those themes. Right. Yeah, because um, even though Christ. Yeah, Ezra might be a, a decent leader, but he still didn't transform the people completely, you know, yeah. or a good priest, you know. Exactly. So we see the, see these themes, again, crossing paths and the need for someone who can be both of those. We, I, As I mentioned, the theme of the remnant, I won't go into detail about this, but this is a theme throughout the Old Testament, right? Really starting with Noah, who mm-hmm. God saves a remnant on the ark, and this throughout the Bible that there's a small remnant that God's working through, showing his favor through, 
and he's going to save the world through as well. And so in the book or in the New Testament, we see the remnant of God's people uh, in the book of Romans. Mm. We see it a few different people, a few different places. Right. We actually see it in the book of Revelation as well. But in Romans, in chapters 9 through 11, Paul focuses heavily on the remnant. Right. On why has God cast off his people and who is that remnant chosen by grace. And so there's a big focus on the election of God, his sovereignty in choosing right. who is his. But also that the remnant idea shows us that God's going to save Israel. Mm-hmm. God hasn't cast off his people forever. Right. He is going to save them. Right. So that just that certainty we have that God has not abandoned his people, mm-hmm. whether that's the church or Israel, that God is faithful to his people always, mm-hmm. is such a comfort. Yeah. And then I, th- I think really through this picture of the exile and the, the restoration from the exile, we see a hint or a picture of the resurrection. Israel was dead, and they're now coming back to life. Yeah, sure. There, there's a hope for new life, and that's ultimately going to culminate in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah, riches and wealth coming, you know, with that resurrection, so to speak. Yeah, you know, that's awesome. Well, great. That's all we got for today, and that's pretty much the book of uh, Ezra, and yeah. we'll get in the book of Nehemiah next week. Thanks for joining us.